Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 101 of The Yacking Show. That's right, folks, we've hit the 100, we're not on our way to the next 100. So. This is the show for awakening you to new perspectives for a changing world. But a request, if you like our show, please subscribe to the channel you're watching or listening on. It helps our guests get more exposure, and that's what we're all about, is bringing news and stories to you and helping our guests. As always, we have a lineup of interesting guests. Today's is no exception, but I'm going to first welcome Kathleen, my co-host down in Waterloo, Ontario, and she will introduce our guest. Hello, Kathleen. How are you today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you. Uh, and we thank, thank you all so very much for tuning into the show. We so appreciate you and your comments, so please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on the show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And today is a, a very interesting topic, and we are absolutely delighted to welcome Jackie McMillan. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Welcome. Now, today is, is uh, you are, actually, you founded Thrive with Autism. It's an organization, an organization that provides information about autism to the community. For our audience, can you tell them a little bit more about your background and what led you into dedicating your life to autism awareness? Okay, so I have autism. I started out as a, a rocker, a droner. I chewed everything in sight constantly. Um, uh, when things got really stressful, I would bang my head. Um, I had communication challenges. I struggled with pronunciation. I used song to communicate because finding my own words required brain supplies that I didn't have at that point in time. And the thing about songs or theater things is, is that it's a canned set of words. And if you learn it once and it's got kind of the right feeling to it, it can help you communicate when you don't have the supplies to find your own words. And you know, word finding is one of those things that tends to be very difficult for those of us in the autistic spectrum. And what happened was at age 11, I had an experience that really showed me in the period of a month that my quality of life could get way better than I ever imagined. And my function could be much, much higher than I ever thought possible. And then I went back to my normal uh, inner city living environment and everything collapsed back down again to where it had been before. And so I turned my life into a series of experiments. What parts of that experience were the really critical parts that helped? What were the parts of living in a big city that hurt? And why, you know, why were these things helping or hurting? And what was within my power to change in terms of tweaking my environment externally and internally so that I could really thrive? And then in my early twenties, I wanted to meet other people with autism and I, signed up to go to an autism uh, support group meeting. And I didn't realize that it was for parents, not people with autism. It's not like Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh. <laughs> so <laughs> I showed up and, and they're like, so how old are your kids? And I'm like, uh, I don't have any kids. Don't you have autism? And we had a situation where the meeting got hijacked. And I really, really understood in a way that I had not before that 
there were common experiences for those of us who had autism that the medical system and parents and educators and the professionals who support autism families and people with autism were completely unaware of. And that was back in the 1990s. So since then, I've been trying to get over communication hurdles and, and outreach hurdles and, 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 you know, how do I make what I have learned and other autistics have learned accessible so that other people can run with it and have the same kind of gains in quality of life and, you know, prognosis, opportunity. Peter? Wow. <clears throat> well, you've given us quite a, quite a good background there. And I, I think this is going to, as you go further, it's going to get um, really, really sort of interesting. But for those of our listeners and viewers who, who are not familiar with autism or people who may be classed as having autism, how would you describe it? <clears throat> and what's the, some of the typical symptoms? You've touched on it already, but... <clears throat> Okay, well, we've got a model challenge with autism. Right now, we have a culture that identifies autism by the tip of the iceberg, the 10% that sits mm -hmm. above the waterline. And so that is, that is the communication challenges, the socialization challenges, the behavioral differences. And most of the treatment for autism is actually focused just on you know, how do you improve communication? How do you improve socialization? How do you improve behavior? And it doesn't really look at what is causing the mm -hmm. communication, socialization, and behavioral challenges. Now, when you look at those challenges, all of them are a reflection of stress. Where's that stress coming from? Well, there are five chronic health problems and that will cause inflammation in the body so bad that it starts to go into the brain. And when inflammation starts to go into the brain, this is when you start to see learning challenges, developmental challenges, and dementia in seniors. So the, the same things that help autism help seniors, the same things that help seniors help autism. Uh, okay. So, okay. so what we're looking at is, uh, okay, what are these five inflammatory health problems? Well, we've got um, high stress. High stress makes you produce a lot more inflammatory compounds. The next one is uh, having the wrong microbes in your gut. We're faced with air we breathe, beverages we drink, foods we eat, things we put on our skin, medications we take that are, uh, that are killing off our probiotics that are supposed to be keeping us well-fed, immunologically safe and healthy. And so what's happening is a gut dysbiosis situation. Dis is wrong, bio is life, is is a condition. So a condition of the wrong life in the gut. And, and what this means is we're malnourished <laughs> and our bodies don't have the supplies they need for the repair and maintenance. Mm -hmm. And so they keep getting further and further behind on repair and maintenance and then inflammation just gets worse and worse. So, so that's two. Number three is, um, a high toxic body burden. Since, um, since the Industrial Revolution, but really since the First World War, we've been making economic decisions on a global basis that have meant that uh, we stopped the global world war and we started three stealth wars. We started a stealth war on germs or the microbes that keep us healthy and alive. We started a, a, a stealth war on, on insects and 
insects keep our ecosystems alive. <laughs> and we started a stealth war on odor. You know, oh goodness, a dog should not smell like a dog. And that garbage bag has to smell like flowers, you know? So we've, we've, we've incorporated uh, industrialization and toxicity into our lives on an unprecedented level. And some of us have impaired mechanisms for detoxing. There are all these pathways that are supposed to function. And if they're not functioning optimally, we start spilling over in a variety of ways. And that causes inflammation in the body. So the third, that's the third is a heightened toxic body burden. Then we've got immune overwhelm. Now, so many people have chronic infections. Now, how many people do you know who are seniors who have a fungal toe or toenail? You know, you, 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 you look at how many, how many women do you know who talk about yeast infections? These things don't happen if your body has all of the supplies it needs to keep itself healthy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But these chronic infections can cause a huge amount of inflammatory byproducts. You know, yeast, for example, produces alcohol every time you eat sugar. Well, you know, there's a challenge with that in that you can actually get arrested for drunk driving after eating donuts. But, and that has happened. But really the bigger problem is that alcohol is a toxin in our body and it, it makes, it, it uses up a whole bunch of supplies to get rid of that toxin, which is part of the reason people have hangovers. So, so, you know, when you use up all of the supplies that your body needs for other things, your body can't do those other things. And that usually means you're, you're in pain. So, so that's the fourth one. And then, and the fifth one is, is actually nerve injury. When you have a, a, a nerve injury or a brain injury, it throws your gut blood barrier open and your blood brain barrier open. And that means that the poo, the undigested food and the microbes that should never leave your gut, get out of the gut, into the bloodstream, into the brain. And then how do you get them out again? So that's maybe the top 30% under the waterline of the, the iceberg, all right? So, so, so then, okay, why are we more vulnerable to these five chronic health problems? Yeah. Well, there are 12 lifestyle factors, things that we have an impact over. What kinds of, uh, what kinds of appliances do we use? What foods do we eat? What beverages do we drink? What clothes do we wear? What cleaning products do we use? There's so many things that have an impact on whether we're living in the Goldilocks zone, which is, you know, not too much, not too little, but just mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. you know? And if we're not living in the Goldilocks zone, we're not living in our optimal ranges of tolerance for health. And we're causing a lot more stress on our bodies. We're not giving ourselves the supplies we need and our bodies can't keep themselves healthy because they're not in the right situation. So, so those 12 lifestyle factors are kind of the, the, the bottom 60% of the iceberg, the great mm. big, you know, hefty, uh, deeply underwater stuff. But then, you know, what do we do with autism treatments, All right? Autism treatments are mostly focused on that 10% above the water. Right. And that 
the treatments that are just focused on behavior and communication and socialization, it's like weather trying to push an iceberg around mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you've got ocean currents that are going in another direction. Mm. So, so autism definition is quite different depending on which group you're talking to right. and autism <clears throat> treatment is quite different depending on if you're at that, that top 10%, the next 30% down, the deep 60%, or actually addressing the ocean currents. Right. So, so Jackie, wow. on uh, your website, Thrive with Autism, you talk about biohacking. Can you explain what that is? Okay, so this is, this is really fun. I mean, there are no autistics who are not biohackers. So, you know, the repetitive behaviors, the rocking, why do, why do seniors rock? Why do we rock babies? We, we rock people, we rock ourselves when we need comfort, when we need soothing, when we're uncomfortable, and when we need calming down. And autistics tend to have much, much higher stress levels than the rest of the population. And so we need more calming down. So we do a whole bunch of repetitive behaviors to help soothe our systems down. It can be pacing. It, it's usually called stimming, you know, when you're shaking things or flapping. A lot of people get upset with that because they don't realize that it's a biohack. <laughs> it's a way to help ourselves stay calm enough to participate and, and, and engage with what's going on around us. So what is biohacking? First of all, I think most of us who are engaged in biohacking are looking at do no harm options. What are the things that we can test and try in our lives that are good for us, whether we actually get them perfect or not, you know? And then how do you perfect them for your own system, your own body? They're usually natural health support because, you know, realistically, I think it was in the, the 1980s, the, the pharmacological, the pharmacopoeia, they took out the the recognition that it takes as long to recover from a, a pharmaceutical drug as it you took that pharmaceutical drug for and so the more that you can keep yourself away from pharmaceuticals and sustain your health in other ways the less work you have to put in to, to getting mm -hmm. healthy and staying healthy mm -hmm. and then and then the last piece around biohacking is what you're doing is you're combing the medical research and you're combing the case studies, the individuals who said, I did this and it really helped. And you're looking for, okay, does that make sense in this larger context of health and science that I understand? And then you're picking and choosing what experiment am I going to do in my life in order to decide what's going to help and what's not going to, what's, what's going to hurt and why. And, and, and then recording those results and sharing them with other people so that they have that data to, to help them make their own decisions about what to try and what not to try. Wow, very good. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit from the biohack side because you've covered that very well. Thank you. Uh, I've got to tell you, in what you're saying, you're preaching to the converted and Kathleen and myself on, on many levels, <laughs> really. What I wanted to ask you, though, is why does it appear that the incidence of autism is increasing so much in the 21st century? You know, I, I, I'm a child of the 50s and 60s. I don't remember autism being discussed, noticed, 
of concern when I was a kid. I, I've got to add to that, though, and say that I was brought up in Africa where we were totally divorced from this consumer society that we have today. And we played in the dirt and we climbed trees and we ran barefoot and we rarely ever got medicines from our parents. Um, th there's a whole lot of stuff in there. But my question is, why, why is it increasing or, or is it because of the reasons you've given us already? All right. So this is a really good question. I mean, there's been a lot of debate about whether autism rates are increasing, but I think um, there's, a, there's a, a, a top researcher from MIT, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, who, who tried to find a relatively robust measure. And what she chose is um, how many grade ones require autism type support, whether mm -hmm. or not they're diagnosed, because access to diagnosis is so variable. And, and what she realized is if you, if you look at that number, that number is doubling every 10 years. Wow. And it's due to reach half of the classroom, half of the grade one classroom by 2025. Now, if it's doubling every 10 years, that means by 2035, it's going to be the very rare child who doesn't have mm. autism or require autism support. So we're definitely at a time where we need to look very carefully at what needs to change? How does it need to change? Because autism isn't allowing our children to thrive. That's our future. We really need to pay attention to mm -hmm. why our future is at risk. And so why are the numbers doubling? Well, if you look in a historical context, you see autistic behaviors in every written record of human history. Uh, and written records seem to show up most in religious uh, yes. communities and scientific communities. Mm -hmm. And these tend to be communities that are more attractive to people with autism because they're, they're introverted and they're focused and they're quiet and peaceful. <laughs> and, you know, for those of us who tend to have a high stress load and get overwhelmed easily, they are good places to focus. Now, there are lots more that we thrive in, but when you look at post-World War I, what we have is a situation where toxicity in day-to-day -day life went on to a hockey stick curve. Mm -hmm. It started rising exponentially. And that toxicity has been seriously aggravating three of the five root causes of autism. Mm -hmm. And that is gut dysbiosis, immune overwhelm, and high toxic body burden. Now, in addition, this industrialization and this increasing expectation that people will spend lots of time at their desks and not moving around means that fewer and fewer mothers are healthy and are in healthy levels of stress during their pregnancy. Because, so a lot more children are being born through a stressful birthing process because their mothers aren't as fit as they need to be. And so instead of the average three and a half hours, you're looking at a lot more nightmares. Mm -hmm. And you're also looking at a situation where ba more babies are being born by, by cesareans, so they're not getting the right microbes. You're looking at a situation where more babies aren't being breastfed. Mm -hmm. um, there are all kinds of protective mechanisms that are being sidestepped plus our birthing process in developing countries, if you look at what causes trauma in other primates, <laughs> I mean, our birthing processes are about, about as traumatic as you can, as you can create um, right. in a hospital setting. Now, some hospitals are attempting to address that, and I'm really grateful for it. But mm. we, we have a situation where 
the likelihood of there being brain injury from the birth process, the likelihood of uh, or compression of the neck or the skull that would cause brain injury, uh, the likelihood of toxicity in gestation or in early years, the kinds of housing we're building, the kinds of places we, we work are so much more toxic than they used to be. And what this means is that more and more parents, men detox through their seminal fluid. When the, the airways get rid of about 70% of our waste, then there's the gut, then there's the skin. And after that, it's reproductive pathways. So for men, that's seminal fluid. For women, that's breast milk, that's menses, and that's developing tissues. So that's either cancers or babies. And you know what we're looking at is is a, a very serious increase in um, spontaneous abortions, in um, uh, malformations in, in newborns, and um, and in all kinds of of childhood diseases, cancers, allergies, asthma, um, learning disabilities, um, emotional challenges. I mean, it's just it's through the roof. My goodness. Wow. wow. Jackie, as you mentioned previously, that if, if, if the current trend continues, that you expect 50% of grade one students will need autism support by the year 2025. Are we making progress to change this trend? Okay. Yes and no. Mm -hmm. There are more and more parents who are no longer willing to listen to a medical doctor who is 50 or 60 years out of date, according to the research and how our medical systems operate, unless you're talking about new drugs. Mm -hmm. um, they're not getting the information about uh, gut dysbiosis, uh, brain and nerve injury, um, high, to high toxic body burden. They're not getting this information. And so they're in a place of nothing can be done. And parents are going, wait, you know, I know that 20% from the research, 20% of parents are making a significant difference in their child's prognosis and quality of life are actually, quote unquote, losing the diagnosis by doing their own tinkering, mm -hmm. by doing their own research, by becoming a doctor mom, doctor dad, and a biohacker for their child. And, um, what we well, so what we have is a situation where our media is behind on reporting. Our medical system is not well designed for a embracing natural health options and b keeping people up to date in anything but drugs. And and um, and c we've got this large and growing community of people of all ages with serious chronic inflammatory health problems mm -hmm. who are starting to draw the links of, wait, I have gut issues. My child has gut issues. If I start doing stuff for my gut issues and I give my child the same things, wait, their autism improves. So we have a situation where we know that adults, when they get any of these five inflammatory health problems that I mentioned, when they treat those in an effective and natural way, they recover function, sometimes fully recover function, and, and that these health problems are the same ones that are affecting autism, and that all of them can be treated, and that when you use those treatments for autistics who are exhibiting those or that blend 
of those health problems because you really have to look at what's the unique blend in each individual. Mm -hmm. When you say, you know, every autistic is different. I mean, there's a big reason. Each one of us has a different mix of these five root causes of brain inflammation. So, but when you start giving the appropriate treatments to autistics, what you see is function getting better for all autistics. But right now, biomedicine, functional medicine, um, you know, the, the part of our Western medical, standard Western medical system that, will, that treats autism is only looking at three of the five causes at best. They're looking at the gut dysbiosis, they're looking at the high toxicity, and they're looking at the immune challenges because brain and nervous system injury is outside of their purview mm-hmm. and, and trauma is outside of their purview, the stress trauma continuum. So that's changing, but it's going to take a while to land in daily practice for our health professionals. So what we've got is a situation where there are an awful lot of parents and biohackers who are dialoguing about what helped. And places like the Autism One Conference, uh, Autism Canada, and um, the Autism Research Institute that are, are having regular conferences, are posting researchers presentations on particular issues so that there's there's a more more informed like guesswork going on in terms of what might help and how might you go about that excellent wow wow i've got one for you jackie you and don't answer it if you don't want to uh but you mentioned that you had an experience when you were 11 i think that changed everything and realized you had so much more potential so I'm going to, and then you mentioned going back to city. So was that experience connected with nature and being away from the city? <laughs> it absolutely was. Um, my parents had previously sent uh, my older sister and my younger brothers to a wilderness canoe tripping camp and had held me back because they were afraid of what would happen. <laughs> and then they thought, well, let's just see what happens the next year. And they sent me as well. And so it was, a, it was an, a, a canoe tripping organization for all ages in Northern Ontario wilderness, fly-in camp, uh, like really isolated <laughs> and uh, clean air, clean water. Um, there was no electricity. Uh, they didn't have showers. Uh, so we were swimming. We were uh, drinking clean water. We were, uh, when you don't have showers, you have to have saunas. It's, it's one or the other by the health regulations. Mm-hmm. And so we were having saunas. Well, sweat is one of your best ways of moving out not only water-soluble toxins, but the fat-soluble toxins that are so hard to get out any other way. I was out in sunlight, so my vitamin D levels went pew. When you exercise in sunlight, you get 50% or no, not 50%. You get double the benefits of exercise when you do it in sunshine as you do mm-hmm. when you do it in indoor lighting. You know, there were, there were uh, but it's taken me years to, to tease out what are all the pieces of being in this natural environment that's made such a difference up to and including, you know, blueberries, strawberries, and raspberries were all ripe at the same time because it's far enough north. And I love berries. So, you know, I'm 10 going on 11 and stuck in, stuffing my face every time I pass a berry bush. There are so many things about being in that place that were restorative of health 
And there are so many pieces to how we live on our usual basis here and now, mm -hmm. even on our farms. Like farm kids are more at risk than any other kids right now. Unless because. you're an organic farmer, which, you know, male organic farmers, there's Danish research saying that, that they're three times as fertile as men, men who aren't organic farmers. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Wow. I, I've got to throw in another very quick one. You, you, you talk about the spectrum. Yes. I'm going to stick my neck out here because I'm not a trained medical professional at all. It's, it's my opinion that practically everyone is somewhere on that spectrum and that the more distant we get from the healthy way we should be living nature sunshine natural foods looking after our gut the further along that spectrum we get whether we believe or have been diagnosed that we are autistic or not am i am i on the right track with that Okay, so you're touching on one of my pet theories, and, and I'm in the process of building data up around this right now. Okay. So it's okay. my theory. It's not something that's out there in the research yet. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you look at the data on highly sensitive people, people who are more vulnerable, notice their environments more than other people do, which tends to be people like us who are doing make the world a better place things because we notice the problems more. What you're looking at are people who are right at the top of that spectrum, what I call the autism spectrum. Because when you take an autistic who's really, really struggling, nonverbal, rocking, droning, headbanging, uh, you know, screaming, and you help that person get healthy, the most functional that they can get is a highly sensitive person. Okay. And there's a fellow named Dr. Robert Scare who wrote a book called The Trauma Spectrum. And if you're not into puns, just forget I said that. But Scare is spelled S-C-A-E-R, not S-C-A-R-E. <laughs> he, he, um, what he did was he really outlined, you know, why is it that we fall somewhere along this spectrum more and more in our current era? And it's not that all of us do. It's that more and more of us do because it's so stressful living outside of our optimal ranges of tolerance for so right. many things. Yeah. Right. I wondered if I was on the right track or, <clears throat> or way out. Anyway, just a pit philosophy of mine. Anyway, that's enough for me. It's your show. Kathleen, back to you. Well, I think we're out of time, Peter. We are. We are, in fact, yeah. Jackie, how do people uh, reach you? How do they contact you? Okay. Well, probably the easiest way is to go to my website and mm -hmm. right in the header, there's a report that you can download that talks about how do you take the stress load down. Mm -hmm. um, so download that free guide and take a look at it. And, and at the end of that free guide, there's a, there's a link to book an appointment with me. That's a free appointment. It's free, 20 minutes free where you tell me ahead of time, what your three biggest challenges are, what you most, what you've already tried and, and how that worked. And then, and then I show up prepared to share data with you and send you links about to the research that show you what your top options are and why. And, and after that, you know, I send you a follow-up link. And if you want to see me more, we work that out. We work out how that would happen. And Jackie, sorry, for, for our, for our audio listeners who might be listening to this on a, 
on a podcast in their car, for instance. Um, just tell tell our listeners the name of your website, please. Right. So it's Thrive, as in T as in table, H R I V as in victory E, Thrive with Autism. Dot C A. Dot C A. Dot C A. Thrive with Autism. Dot C A. That's great. It, it will be on the video, but for those who are just listening, thrivewithautism.ca. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks so much. It was absolutely a pleasure to have you on our show, Jackie. Thank you. And thank you all so very much for tuning in. We so appreciate you and love reading your comments. So please keep them coming. And once again, if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on the show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. So until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.